Hey everybody, it's John. I wanted to remind you that we do have a Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash alien minute. Over there on Patreon, Mitch and I discuss subjects concerning movies and television and just about anything else we want to talk about. So uh, if you want to come over there, you can subscribe for $2 a month for one episode or $5 a month for every episode at patreon.com forward slash alien minute. Thank you. Hello and welcome to the Alien Minute podcast, the daily podcast where we carefully dissect the movie Alien one minute at a time. I'm Mitch Bryan. And I'm John Engel. And today's minute begins with Ian Holmes' credit and ends with a very industrial-looking spaceship coming into view. Well, let's start with Ian Holm, shall we? Let's just start with Ian Holm. So you were telling me you had some familiarity with Ian Holm before this movie came out. He wasn't a big... Uh, movie name like a big uh, star at the time people a lot of people that saw the movie probably didn't recognize him but you did I did because I was a huge Richard Lester fan and um, he's in Robin and Marion he plays Prince John in that and he's also in Juggernaut which is this extraordinary thriller that uh, takes place on a on a cruise ship uh, and a mad bomber threatening to blow the ship up and he was in that as well Uh, and so again you know he comes with this brilliant British pedigree and he had won the Tony um, and and again just sort of classes it up you know yeah. this cast being these extraordinary many of them extraordinary British actors or American character actors yeah and you know perhaps his the classiness of his character as a person or uh, the cla- the classiness that he brought to the character sort of hide some facts about this character uh, that you're not expecting what you get from him. So Maybe now somebody watching the movie sees Bilbo Baggins. Right. Right? And so that probably, if they didn't know what they were getting into, would, would probably even deepen the shock sure, sure. Of, of who this guy turns out to be. Right. Yeah, he's amazing. We were uh, we were talking a little bit about his you know post-alien career and the stuff he did with Terry Gilliam, like Brazil and Time Bandits. and I mean, someone who's watched a lot of movies... Uh, that would wa- say they had never seen Alien. For- they've seen him do so many different things. Uh, he's very flexible. And Napoleon three times. Stuff. <laughs> Napoleon three times. Uh, yeah, Ian Holmes, fantastic. Um, um, then we get uh, Yafet Koto is the next credit that comes up. Uh, he's the last of the of the actor credits. Um, and how did you know? I I don't know a whole lot about Yafet Koto outside of Alien and and a couple of his bigger roles um, in Live and Let Die and so forth. But you knew him from well, at the time. That's, that's where I knew him from was Live and Let Die. Sure. And so that was that was pretty much it. I mean, I didn't start watching those black exploitation movies until I was a little bit older. Right. Um, but of course, he's in a hundred across one hundred and tenth Street. He's in Bone. Well, I also did know him from uh, from Blue Collar. Oh right. He's in the Blue Paul Collar, Schrader. the Paul yeah. Schrader movie, which had come out. Just a, I think a year before this. Yeah. Um, but did you know? Did you know who he was? I, you know, I think this. Well, Live and Let Die would be the first place I saw. You know, watching Bond movies on Sunday nights with my dad. You know, I, I anybody who was in a Bond movie, I knew them from that first. But no, uh, you know, I didn't know a whole lot about him when he gets a uh, as 
Parker credit there, which gives it some significance, yeah. seemingly. But it, first time I watched Alien, I had no idea why. You know, why Why was this guy getting a special credit? I didn't think but anything of it. Didn't you tell me you'd seen his face on video boxes I've or seen him. Yeah, you know, well, he would be on, you know, uh, across 110th Street, different black exploitation films that were in the video store. Uh, the small town I came from had a tiny corner of the of the grocery store that was turned into a video store. And uh, that's where I was exposed to a lot of the movies I saw first and a lot of boxes for VHS tapes that I could never take home in a million years being black, like black exploitation films uh well anything with that kind of content but i remember his face his face has always been familiar to me but um so did you have to, to like grow up and move out before you could rent r-rated no no movies? R- r-rated movies came around suddenly for me well first of all i could watch the godfather my whole life why i don't know uh <laughs> thanksgiving family tradition watching the godfather that was okay but sonny's, other gonna, sonny's gonna be banging the girl I, at this point it's insane. upstairs i have no idea Get the turkey so many things in the godfather that should have been uh completely restricted uh, <laughs> in context with all the other things that were but no i think it was about 13 i got to go see robocop 2 that was my first uh, R-rated movie in the theater. My mom took me to see it, and from then on, it was okay to watch whatever I wanted. That's not a bad first R-rated. It's movie. a very interesting one. It's a big. Sh- it was a shocker for me. I mean, I'd seen some stuff before that, but um, I mean, it wasn't the first R-rated movie I'd ever seen. But the first sanctioned by the parents one. But so that was about what was that? Nineteen ninety, I think. And uh, from then on, it was all action, all anything that. I was one of those kids. Anything with explosions, gunfire, crazy action, I was all about it. You know what the uh, first? Which I think I, re- I, the last minute I talked about. That's why Aliens was kind of my in my wheelhouse for movies at the time. But do you know what the first R-rated movie was that I saw? No. In a theater? No. It was Zardoz. <laughs> And that was the best 13-year-old boys no movie wonder. you could ever hope I, for. I just got a lot. I, I, a lot of your character just cleared up for me. <laughs> why you show Zardoz in classes and things like that? Um, yeah, I have yeah. a I have a deep, deep abiding affection for so Zardoz. It's yeah. it's, no. it's not you like share it with a few people. It's not like Alien though. Right. It's very different. Still science fiction, but that's yeah. about that's about where we draw that line. A lot different in a lot of ways. Um, so yeah, get on with the credits. Uh, we're moving into some writers here. Uh, uh, Dan O'Bannon. Ronald Schusset. Let's talk about them a little bit. I think that when it comes to Alien, as great a job as Ridley Scott did directing it, and he's hugely responsible for why it's such an amazing movie, the genesis was with Dan O'Bannon, and he carried the ball sure. for a lot of this process. He found H.R. Giger. He himself did a lot of design work on on the movie. He Met Ronald Shusett and they began to write together. So then they they the draft sort of grew with the two of them working on it. Yeah. Um, but I think it's Alien is one of those movies that is, you know, testament to film as a collaborative medium. Everybody right. contributed to it, uh, and but it is not some singular auteurist work. You know, there yeah. are there is and and Dan O'Bannon was a huge part of that, and I'm sure that. On some level, he wished he could have directed the movie. I know he wanted to direct. He did the movie. want to direct it. Yeah. Um, but you know that said, the what happened after that with Walter Hill getting involved and the transformation of the script to yet you know another level uh, is is really interesting. When you look at those two scripts side by side, you can really see the contributions that Dan O'Bannon made and then how Hill 
sort of refined it and added some some new ideas and yeah. maybe toughened it up a little bit, made right. it a little bit more naturalistic. For sure on that one, yeah. If you look at the, it's just Hill, their, their treatment is much more raw and you just get to the point of everything so quickly and yeah. Uh, O'Bannon's contributions extended outside of the writing process though uh, with some of the people that he brought on the team uh, having worked on the pre-production for Jodorowsky's Dune project that never happened. Uh, that's where he met Giger, right? Mobius. Yeah. Who else was on that? Was Cobb on that? I don't know one? if Ron Cobb was on that, but he, either, but he brought actually. Ron Cobb in sure. uh, in the early stages. Uh, and I guess the story goes, I guess, at some point, um, the, the idea became that Ron Cobb would do the ships and the hardware and the suits, right. and Giger would do the planet and the alien. And, and so mm-hmm. having these two very different mindsets yeah. really added added a lot of dimension to the movie and then Definitely. and then Chris Foss's designs were really impressive as well they're really yeah. colorful um but but he, you know he he brought a lot to the to the mix as well and O'Bannon himself you know designed the fingers on the face hugger he designed that face face hugger idea so um a, a lot of collaboration right uh we might have skipped over Jerry Goldsmith Oh, did we? I think we did. Well, we can't do that. No, not at all. Um, so, so the credits are out of order a little bit. That's all right. Uh, Jerry Goldsmith, who did the score for Alien, um, far too much to talk about for just this one minute. We're going to definitely talk about him a ton as the show progresses, uh, as we go minute by minute. But just to give a little bit of background on him, uh, what would you say? What was the first uh, Jerry Goldsmith score you noticed that really stuck out to you? That you like his name became recognizable to you. It was probably Patton. Yeah, Patton. Or Planet of the Apes. Yeah. Planet of the Apes, too. Sure. Because and, and, it sh- and this score shares some things with that in that it's very percussive, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of atonal stuff. Um, I mean, it's fascinating with Jerry Goldsmith because he can do these scores like Alien and, and Outland and Planet of the Apes on one hand, and then he can do these incredibly beautiful, lush, melodic scores like The Wind and the Lion or mm-hmm. S- Star Trek The Motion Picture Score yeah. is gorgeous. I love yeah, Star Trek The Motion Picture, Picture Score is the one that I think of the first. When you mentioned Patton, to be honest, until today, I didn't think about that being a Goldsmith score. Oh, but, yeah. uh, my, my dad's a war movie buff, to say the least. Uh, I was raised on him, and Patton was one of them we watched a lot. And that, that da, 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 yeah, that's yeah, that, very yeah, Goldsmith-like those, now yeah. when I think about yeah. it. And, well, and then yeah. I had seen The Omen too, sure. and and those big choral scores that he does, yeah. big bombastic, which makes the Omen like if the Omen is nothing without his without his music, right? Uh, especially oh, yeah. it's the second or third nothing. one. Yeah, it's almost, it's almost nothing, nothing anyway. anyway. <laughs> but um, but the score, the right. Alien, the the Omen two score is fantastic. Yeah. So he brings a real interesting tone to this thing for sure and we'll like i said we'll be talking about him a lot more as we go along um what more did you want to say about walter hill uh, we talked about we touched on him for a second but he's a big well big you know he, he was he was enjoying a pretty extraordinary success at this point having started as a writer and he wrote the getaway uh and actually the other you know the, another peck and paw connection is that uh, gordon carroll the other producer had produced pat garrett and billy the kid right um but i think that Hill had refined his his prose style in scripts in a way that a lot of us, when we would we read a first Walter Hill script, we all wanted to write like Walter Hill, yeah. uh, because it's so terse and sharp and poetic and minimalist. And so, I between that and the fact that you know, he did come in and he changed the names, he did come in and and harden 
because the the names in in O'Bannon's script are they're a little goofy fifties kind of feeling, you know. Definitely. There's there's this kind of you know gee whiz fifties sense that that you get when you read that. Whereas Hill comes in and he makes everybody tough, blue collar, hard, yeah. reduced, and all of those things. I think translate to what then Ridley Scott does, which sure. is allows a more improvisory style. Right. The actors are, I mean, you read the dialogue in, in either one of the scripts and what gets said on the set on the day captures the spirit of it, but they are definitely not saying those lines, you know, word for word. Right. They're improvising and they're, they're, they're making it breathe and they're making it live. And the and the Hill script's what brought Scott onto the project, as right. I understand it, yeah. and it was his style. I, I believe I, really Scott was quoted as saying something about how it got to the point, how it still illustrated the characters and the action very well. But he was able to read it in forty five minutes, and just something about that, like he was on board, and it came on to bring out bring a lot of changes with the with the uh, conceptual art and everything as well. So. Um, but he got he saw that movie from that first read of, of Hill's draft, and I'm not sure he would have seen it with Oban and draft uh, the the Oban and Shusett one. It's a little bit more you'd have to swim through a little bit more detail and the prose and so yeah. on is a little bit funny. I was reading a little bit of it, and, but yeah, the Hill Walter and, Hill and, gets to the point. And and Hill was a big advocate of of Ridley Scott as a director. Yeah. yeah. And uh, from what I understand. He wasn't the first person on the list, no. but uh, by the time that it got around to him, uh, Hill had seen The Duelists and really admired that. And I, I would, I would, I had seen The Duelists as well when I first saw Alien, right. and I was really excited about like the what this was going to be like because when I saw The Duelists, I was stunned. It was like it was like Barry Lyndon with swords, you know. Yeah. I mean, it was really great. Well, the Duelist, uh, for anyone in the audience who's never seen The Duelist, this is Ridley Scott's first feature film. And uh, if you haven't seen it, seek it out. It's it's great. It really, I didn't see it for the first time until probably about 10 years ago. Knowing full well who Ridley Scott was, I'd never seen his first film, and I was, it's amazing. Definitely check that out. It's based um, on a Joseph Conrad short yeah. story, and sort of the ghost of Conrad continues into I was Alien. Say, we're going to talk about him in the next minute, I believe. Yeah. Um, well, do you have anything else for this minute? I think that's it for now. I think that's it. All right. Well, if anyone out there wants to follow us on Twitter, we are Alien Minute Podcast at Alien Minute Pod is our handle. Um, we can also visit us at alienminute.com or email me at john at alienminute.com if you have any questions or any ideas or anything at all you want to email us. Um, also, check us out on iTunes and subscribe. Leave some uh, five-star reviews if you'd like. And uh yeah, I you, think you don't it. have to leave a five star review. You can leave five star reviews are the best reviews. You can leave a four star review. You can or... if you want. The five stars really go a long ways, though. If if you're if in doubt, go up that one star. But we're not telling you what you have to do or anything. All right. Well, tune in tomorrow for minute number three, and thank you for listening. <laughs>